When I was still at my parish, I remember uh, there was a family that would come every week to Mass, and they had uh, two little girls. One was about two, two and a half years old, and the other one was about four. And uh, the reason I remember them, not only they were a great family and very faithful, but also that during communion, often uh, the four-year-old girl would like to come up with her mom and kind of holding her hand, her mother would make sure she didn't ran away, run away. She'd come up to the communion line, and after her mom received communion, the little girl would be waiting, standing behind her. As her mom moved away from me, she would come up and give me this big hug. <laughs> and it was the sweetest thing. It was like such a little beam of sunlight uh, at morning mass to just have this tiny little girl just embrace me, even though she couldn't receive communion. Um, the trust and the childlike affection and love and innocence was so beautiful. And I imagine that Jesus, in this gospel today, when he takes a child to show the apostles what it really means to be faithful, to be a child of God, he was pointing to a child like that, saying, you guys are arguing about all this stuff, about who's the greatest, but look at the way this child lives. Look at the world through this child's eyes. Whoever receives a child such as this receives me, he says. Because what I imagine that Jesus saw in the child was the innocence that we had lost in sin. The innocence we were meant to live in from the very beginning, Adam and Eve, naked without shame, that just received God's love and gave it back to him, that lived in easy friendship, no wars, no conflict, no sin simple trust in God and his goodness, that wonder at God's creation that grows and swells up into gratitude and love for what God has given them. But he also sees, Jesus sees in the child, because he's God, that seed of corruption that is in every human heart. Even from the time we're innocent children, we haven't committed any real sins yet, but we have the stain of original sin on our souls. And we'll one day grow up, every child will grow up, into the kind of person that crucified Jesus. That something is in there that he longs to root out. And the child is like this emblem to us of what we could be, how we could live, if that rotten seed weren't growing in us, if it were just uprooted by some grace, so that we could be innocent, could be childlike again. Our gospel today presents kind of a snapshot for us of Jesus and his relationship to his apostles where he says to them, look, the Son of Man is going to be handed over. The Son of Man is going to be handed over to men, and they will kill him, and three days after his death, the Son of Man will rise. Very plain language. He's laying out to them what's about to happen. You guys are all excited. You're the front runners. You're my inner circle. You know, everybody wants access to me, and you guys get it like 24-7 because you're my 12 apostles. But this is what this is all leading to. They're going to arrest me and kill me, but don't worry, I'll rise from the dead. Very plain language. And what does the gospel say? They did not understand the saying, and they were afraid to question him. Okay, what's so hard to understand? And if, if you did have trouble understanding, why didn't you just ask, what do you mean by that? But they were afraid to ask. Why would they be afraid? Maybe they were self-conscious. Maybe they didn't like what they heard, and they just were like, I want to pretend like I didn't hear that. Or they didn't know if he was being metaphorical or if he was saying one of those weird Jesus sayings that would, you know, had some double meaning, a parable or something. But they, didn't, they were too self-conscious 
to ask, what would a child do in that situation? What do you mean by that? Children have a way of asking questions, right? Why, why? I remember a favorite story of mine about my oldest brother when he was a kid. They were at the mall during Christmas time once, and there was Santa Claus in the middle of the mall. And uh, my brother said to my mom, that's not the real Santa. And my mom was like, oh, what do you mean by that? He goes, if that's Santa, where's his sleigh? And my mom just said, uh, it's, on this, it's on the roof. He goes, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> I remember when I was a kid, I asked my mom, my, my sister seven years younger than me, and it never occurred to me to ask where babies came from. And I asked her one day, I said, Mom, how do women get pregnant? And she said, well, when a man and a woman get married, then God starts to give them children. I said, so they can't, the ladies can't get pregnant before they're married? And she said, no, because then the baby wouldn't have a dad. And I said, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> the innocence of a child, you, at, you want to know, but you, take, you trust that even if you can't understand exactly what they're getting at, you might not know exactly what they mean, but you trust them to tell you the truth, or enough truth for you to understand at this moment. You're not, you may not be ready for the answer. But the apostles don't do that. They don't ask. They don't seek to understand. They're busy talking about grown-up things. Like what? Who's the greatest? Who's the most important? We are obviously, us 12 are more important than everybody else. But who's the most important of the 12? That's really important, right? That's what they're arguing about. But this is what it means to be an adult in a world conditioned by sin, is petty, self-conscious, in the sense of conscious of self that I am the important one, and that if anybody else gets attention or money or any good thing, that means that I'm not getting it. And so this jealousy and this envy erupts in us. And as St. James says in the second reading, that this is the cause of all war, all conflict, all bad stuff. It says, where do war and conflict come from? Is it not your warring passions within you? Envy and jealousy? It occurs to me that uh, Carl Sagan a great uh, scientist and documentarian. Um, he convinced the NASA to turn around the Voyager 1 in 1990 to take, before it left the solar system, to turn around and take a picture of the Earth from 4 billion miles away, or whatever it was, just before it left our planetary system, to just turn around and take a snapshot of the, of the Earth. And he did, or they did. And you can see this photo online if you look for it. And in it, it's just a big black space, kind of with some sunbeams, because it's pretty close to the sun. And then a pale blue dot, tiny little, like, one-pixel dot. That's the Earth. And Carl Sagan says this very poetic thing about, that's us, that's all of us. Every person you've ever loved or hated, every great person, every not-so-great person, every human affair that's ever occurred in the history of humanity, all occurred on this tiny little speck of dust. And he says, the earth is a very small stage in the vast cosmic arena. Think of the rivers of blood spilled by all those generals and emperors so that in glory and triumph they could become the momentary masters of a fraction of a dot. Think of the endless cruelties visited by the inhabitants of one corner of this pixel on the scarcely distinguishable inhabitants of some other corner. How frequent their misunderstandings, how eager they are to kill one another, how fervent their hatreds. 
To be a child, in the sense that Jesus is getting at, is to recognize that we're little. And that's a good thing. That we're little. We're not so big as we think we are. We're not so important as we think we are. And that's good. Because God still loves us even though we're little. God still loves us because we're little. When Jesus looks at the child, when I saw that little girl, Frankie, come up and give me a big hug on the communion line on Sunday, my heart was opened up to her because of her littleness, because of her innocence, because of her trust. That's the goodness God sees in us, not because we're so big and important and fancy. To be a child is to recognize that we're little, to have no ego, and to forget ourselves. I'll finish with this one last story. I remember when I first got into seminary, um, when I was even more self-important and less childlike than I am now, coming into seminary, and I'm this big fancy guy, and I'm going to be a priest, and look at me. I remember there was this one uh, seminarian who was actually already a deacon, and it was the last year before he was going to be ordained a priest. And we were at one of these seminary functions where we would all sit around these round tables, and um, it would be tablecloths. It was one of the fancier dinners. It was like a Christmas event or something like that. And one of the chairs around that round table always had an apron on it. And whoever sat in that chair was to be the waiter for the meal, bringing the plates uh, from the kitchen back and uh, bringing the food out from the kitchen to the table, etc., pouring people's water and coffee and everything else. And I made sure not to take that chair because I didn't want to be the waiter. And I sat down, and then this deacon goes over. When there's every other chair besides that, uh, is, is, besides my own, is, take, is open, he goes and takes the apron off the chair and sits down. And he said, and I asked him, oh, you're going to be the waiter? He goes, yeah, I'm a deacon. Deacon actually means waiter. Diakonos in, in Greek means one who serves at table. And I remember in my heart thinking, oh, that stinks. <laughs> and after all of this, like six years of seminary, that you're just going to be the slave? You're going to be the servant? The waiter? But what I saw in him was that he recognized what his true calling was and what true freedom was, which was to serve, to love, to forget yourself. And this is what we need to do, us, adults, to become childlike again. Not to be immature or childish, but to be self-forgetful, to immolate our egos, that part of us that wants to be more important, that wants others to serve us, or worst of all, wants God to do my will and not me to do God's will. C.S. Lewis said that true Christian humility, true childlike humility, is not thinking less of yourself. It's not thinking, oh, I'm so bad, or oh, I'm so small, or so insignificant, or unimportant. It's not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Less.